You're listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Ross on Y. To find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. So he saw fish, the boat being filled, and not just being enough fish, but they had to call more people over to come and get. That's that's how God sees that's the heart of the father he doesn't see the hopelessness of what happened he sees the potential of the now and the current he, um and then um you know he called them to be disciples didn't he uneducated fishermen were not well thought of or they were they were essential way of life in those days they weren't well thought of uh, and then if nothing else they were really smelly i expect um, so, not the most obvious choice, but he was about the father's business, and the father's business wasn't about outside, outward-looking um, values, but he saw them as the ideal people to go and spread the word. He didn't. He didn't need education. He needed the heart, and he saw it in them. Later in chapter 5, he calls Levi the ta- a tax collector, unpopular in another way, but still not a barrier to God. Didn't see the past of being a tax collector, saw the potential of the present and the future in being a person that could be a prophet, that could be an evangelist, that could be someone that spread the heart of God to those that needed to hear. Um, Jesus transformed 12 ordinary, untrained, some if not all were uneducated, extremely unlikely people, and he transformed them in the first generation of leaders, evangelists, prophets of this new generation, thought about them the way the Father did. If he chose those people, that's because that was the Father's heart. So therefore, he chose those that didn't look necessarily the part he chose the ones that the father's heart was after and that's what he's still doing to us and we need to know that the heart of the father is for us as we are however you are educated however much money you have at home however much money you don't have at home wherever your children are or you don't have children or you're married or not married none of that is a barrier to God's calling because he knows. Um, You know, in chapter six of Luke, he says, blessed are you who are poor because you'll see the kingdom of heaven that actually in those, you know, all you wanted is riches. The world tells us we need riches even now, but God's saying, actually, that's not what you need. You need the kingdom of heaven. Um, He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. That, That can be a real challenge, but it's turning the world on its head. He sees things differently. The Father is all about people, you see, and it's all about the individual to Jesus too. Jesus had a heart for the people because Father did. Whether it was a 5,000 people gathering or a one-to-one, Jesus had a heart for the people because that's what he'd seen his Father doing, having a heart for individuals. And he touched, lots and lots of times, he touched the one. You touch the one. In chapter 7, it reads, said, One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined 
at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she did, stood behind his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with his tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw them, this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So what did Simon saw? Simon saw the sin, the sinner. What did Jesus see? He saw a woman that came and worshipped at his feet. He didn't see her past. He saw her reaction to him to come and wet her feet with his tears. And so we, even as Christians, and, and if you've been a, long, a Christian a long time, you can um, dwell on, on things that you keep doing wrong or that you thought you'd got over and done with and you haven't quite. And you can let that inhibit your reaction and expectation of Jesus because you are thinking about the past and I shouldn't be doing that again and God, I'm really sorry I've done it again. And, and you get caught up in that. But Jesus and the Father don't, they see beyond the past. So is the, if the past is yesterday <laughs> or two years ago, they see beyond the past. Jesus sees the now and the future. And so while Simon, all he could see that she was a sinful woman, probably a prostitute, is what they think, um, hadn't lived a good life. That's all he saw. But she was the one that came and gave him the worship and the adoration. And so that was what Jesus responded to. And so what we've done before today is not what the Father looks at. Because of the blood of Jesus, he can look at us anew and with fresh eyes and with fresh belief in our potential and what we can do. Um, again, it says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great de danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked the disciples. The disciples saw the danger. They saw the waves. They heard the thunder. They heard, felt the boat rocking. I don't know how good you are in a tippy boat, but I'm not really very good. You know, your stomach starts to go a bit, doesn't it? And, and the rain. And they, they heard the noise and felt threatened. But Jesus saw, the, you know, knew the waves were in his command, knew that there was peace, knew that there was a route and a way through. And he was unafraid. He was at peace and he was calm. He saw solutions, not the problems. And there, there, there are endless, you could sp I could spend all day and all week going on and on about the things God sees differently. But the one I really felt on my heart was that Jesus sees death as sleeping. Um, Jesus raised three people from the dead. Um, 
two of these accounts are recorded in Luke. And the first one is in chapter 7. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. One of the things I really liked about this little passage is that they are nameless. We don't know who they were. They have no, they are nobody. There is no name recorded. Luke didn't think their names worth recording. Perhaps he didn't know them. They are nobodies, and yet Jesus has compassion on them. So you might think that you're insignificant. You live in a tiny little town in a fairly backward, out-of-the-way county at the edge of England. I come from London, sorry. (laughs) Um, But actually... God doesn't see it that way at all because he doesn't see Ross as a no town. He doesn't see Hereford as a backward county. He he just sees it as a place where he can move. And so he sees us and has compassion on us, whatever our status, whatever our position, whatever our age, wherever we are, Whatever we feel like this morning, Jesus has compassion because that is the heart of the Father towards us. And so what was hopeless for the widow and the mother who lost her son became an opportunity of great joy. God sees the individual, the nobody, and turns them from despair to great joy. And that is just incredible. He was, he, he, it says um, that the literal translation of concerned and compassion is suffer together. It, it didn't just, oh, that's sad. You know, his heart responded to it. His heart reacted and actually that led to action. So he sees death differently, no barrier to his input, to his authority. And it fits in with what he'd been anointed to do, to bring good news. He changed death to life. We read, um, sung today, didn't we, about from the ashes, hope will arise. And that is just the heart of the Father. That is the heart of Jesus. That's what Jesus was doing, bringing hope from what was hopeless. Um, and then, then another account, which probably is more, f- well, very familiar if you were brought up in the church, um, because you do this one endlessly in Sunday school, um, is Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. Uh, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a name named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. 
She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus said. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me. I know that the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told her, to give her something, told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Jesus' reaction to the death was to tell them to stop wailing, which, but anyway, he did, and said, she is asleep. She was dead, right? Because we know that from, you know, the verses before. But again, we see how the father in this Jesus sees this situation differently. The physical circumstances told him one thing, but Jesus saw it with the eyes of the Father from heaven, the power and authority from heaven. And he responded, first of all, to the cry of Jairus. Right at the beginning, it said that um, Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. He responds to our cries. That's what he does. Not, sometimes not the way we think he should, but he responds because that's what he does. He's willing, he responds. <coughs> he's willing. When he's confronted with death, he still sees possibility. He still sees potential. She is asleep and he turned the situation around. He brought life instead of death. He brought unimaginable joy instead of mourning and despair. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus and see how he looks at things, we have to, need to, begin to build that perspective in us. We have to declare truth over people around us, and we have to, just as importantly, know that it isn't just about others, but Jesus sees in us potential just to the disciples, however educated or not, however rich or not, whatever our job, whatever our past, he says, I can see in you someone that can change the world. He's also seeing things in your life, that my life, that we may be considered dead as something that's sleeping, and it's not dead, it's just sleeping. And I believe, and it's you know amazing, Eniko, <laughs> Well, the songs you brought that he's about bringing the dead and sleeping to life. Um, I'm, Barbara's just going to quickly share a picture. I was talking to Barbara yesterday about this sort of thing. Okay. Um, we have a daughter who is in her mid-20s. And uh, when she was in sixth form, 
she said, <clears throat> I don't want to be a Christian anymore, which is quite devastating, really. Anyway, I uh, I went to God and uh, had a prayer and uh, talked to him about it. And um, he gave me a picture of um, a tree sapling. Um, and it was <coughs> just outside the house, actually, sort of beyond the patio. So it wasn't... So I felt, oh, he's, it's okay. He's, she's not going to go far. Okay, and and that's true, really. Um, sh uh, that's quite true. <laughs> um, and uh, but the tree didn't have any leaves on. It was like in the autumn, you know, like now, really. And um, and I felt God say, um, but the spring will come, and um. I'm still waiting for the spring to come, actually. And uh, <coughs> so, um, but because uh, God gave me that picture, I uh, we're able to keep praying and believing that uh, she will um, return to Jesus. Um, yeah, is that what? Okay. Yeah, so we, there are things, I think, for all of us that we have maybe lost hope on that there were dreams that you had. I don't know, you've had prophecies about your life, that you've had a verse that you thought, this is God speaking to me, and actually it's not really happened, and so you've put it down. Um, and I, I've <laughs> I just believe that God wants to bring hope. He turns situations from hopeless hopeful and hopeful isn't some vague wishing it's full of hope and so um you know it might be relationships that you see as dead with siblings with partners with children um, with neighbors with friends it might be dreams that you've had and you hung on to and now they feel dead to you um you know hopes that have been dashed by people um, careers, I don't know, prophecies brought down um, and, and you now see them as impossible. Now that God works and he does, there are seasons in his life, but I believe that there are things that you now see as um, you're, I don't know, too old, you're in the wrong circumstance now, the wrong situation but God wants to um, tell you that they are sleeping and he wants to bring life. Um, you know, where physical circumstances say one thing, he is looking and seeing nothing to stop his power bringing life. It says when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. So, if he can do that, and when we're dead in our sin, and we now are seated in the heavenly places, how much more can he bring life to those hopes and dreams of yours that have been dashed, the disappointments that lead to you giving up? Uh, and we need to grasp this. We need to grasp it because that's what we see in Jesus, and there's no point looking at him and then thinking, oh, yeah, well. We're looking at him, so he changes who we are. 
We need to know who we are. We need to know that with that intimacy with the Father, we need to know what his business is. We need to bring hope to the dead around us. And if we don't have that hope ourselves and he doesn't bring life to our dreams, then it's hard, much harder to bring it to others. So I just want us to spend a couple of minutes because this isn't about my dreams. It's about your situations. Just ask the Father. Just ask Jesus what it is that he wants to just begin to plant that seed of hope in you for. Because I believe that God wants to start saying, telling you it's not dead, it's sleeping. And I'm a, a God who can bring hope in those situations.